Well, good morning. Everybody looks good this morning. Aren't you enjoying winter now? Welcome to Colorado. My granddaughter came for Christmas, no snow. We'd been telling her for weeks and weeks she was going to make a snowman when she came here. And, um, and uh, I'm a liar. But, you know, whatever, she'll get over it. She's three. <clears throat> uh, some, some things that are happening with this. I think I've given some of these updates, but let me, let me make it succinct so we know where we're at with this. Um, so we got the water in to the building, right? We, you know that, hopefully you know that. We got the water in, um, which really did mess up all of the things we had in the building. Our, all of our toilets and stuff were not used to the real water at real water pressure, so it, it causes problems. But, so then we started the uh, sewer, and right down over here uh, is where we got to, as we were digging, we came through to all the water. We, there is a lot of springs underneath uh, underground there that, that just, it's just flooding. Everything that we're digging is flooding. In fact, a guy that's owned property, uh, he owns a property over there, the corner down there. He's owned it since like 1982. We talked to him uh, two weeks ago and he said, yeah, that, that road's named Springcrest for a reason. <laughs> we're like, oh, good to know. But uh, so we didn't know what to do. We've stopped, we stopped everything for, for the last three weeks trying to figure out what to do, we went back to the city, and the city gave us permission to change the uh, depth of the sewer line. It has to be at eight feet. Um, they've allowed us to change it to six feet, and the water is coming in somewhere around five feet or a little bit deeper. So that's, that's really going to take care of a lot of it. And the fact that we have to go down to the road, across the road, and then, and then almost 2,000 feet through that field to get to the sewer tap, um, that saves us a lot of money digging two less feet, uh, except for all the pipe that's already there that we put at eight feet. But uh, hopefully we'll figure that out. But this, this theoretically is going to save us uh, some of the money that we thought we were going to have to spend extra now. Um, so we think we're still fairly close to budget, probably a little bit over, but we think we're getting there. And then we also have got a company that's going to come in and help us mitigate the water for just the, the 30, 40 feet while we're digging this in. To, to put the uh, sewer line in, take the water out, put the sewer line in, get it inspected, bury it, and then let the water do what it's going to do under there. But so this has been this has been very stressing for us. It's been a lot of I mean, we've had meetings after meetings. None of the builders know what to do. None of the construction guys know what to do. Uh, this is new to them. Dale, who's part of our church here and and um, has built churches all over the country and built probably a third of Colorado Springs. Um, he said he's never seen it like this, ever, anywhere. And so, um, so lucky us, we're special that way. So, so I'm, I'm sure there's some tie-in to uh, rivers of living water will flow. Uh, I, I don't know, just whatever you want to do there. Whatever helps you feel good will make me feel better. So we're actually there, though. The next couple of weeks, this should, this, this should fix everything. Um, and the fact that the city... Turned this around in, in basically two weeks. They gave us permission to change all the drawings. We, we took them to the city and they approved them. I mean, we waited, what, seven months for our building permit. Uh, so this is, this is we're, we're praying God will give us favor, and he obviously is. So, so just keep praying. Just keep praying about this. We're already seeing God do some stuff. So, um, so pray this into existence. And pray for the finances, too. Pray for you financially in this. 
and then pray uh, that God will just do some, some big miracles with all of this. All right, so in this series <clears throat> that I'm uh, doing here, this is filter series. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, with, with, this, with this series, I'm, I, I, I told you this last week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the best I can this week to do something I don't normally do when I'm speaking, and that is that I'm going to leave a lot of open ends um, to stuff. I'm not going to explain it as, as detailed as I would and, uh, and try to, I like to like make, make it into a nice neat package and put a nice bow on it, and so there's no confusion where we're trying to go with this. But in, in really processing this, I, I, I think that it would, it would potentially be a hindrance if I, if I had all the details laid out as to why, we're going to talk about David this morning, but why David does some of the things that he does. And if I make them too um, succinct, I think potentially what we do is we say, well, that's not really me. That's not really who I am. I, I've done this at different times with Scripture where I, I kind of take it and I say, well, you know, that was, that was 3,000 years ago. People are so different today. And, and I don't believe that. I don't believe people are different today. I think we deal with a little bit different stuff, and you've got some cultural things that are different. But humanity, in a general sense, has always been who we were from the garden till now. Okay? And so what you'll do is, is, if you're not careful, you'll look at situations in Scripture and say, well, that's not exactly me, and so I don't need to deal with it maybe exactly. Um, I, can, I, I, can, I can either not deal with it or, or, or change it to fit who I am in the, in the thinking process. And so I'm going to leave a lot of this vague, which is difficult for me. I, I caught myself once during first service honing in more than I wanted to, so I'm going to try not to. But the reason I want to leave it vague is because I really want the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you, specifically speak to you about you, and say this is some things that he wants different. Um, there are some things about you that are absolutely amazing that the Holy Spirit wants to strengthen. He wants to make them better. Um, there are some things about you that he wants to completely change. Okay, we have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit take us down those roads. And so the question is, what makes me me? Why, why do I think the way that I do? Why do I, why do I have the worldview that I do? Why do I process information this way? Why, some of the questions that I asked like last week is, why do I get passionate about some, whatever the case is? Why do I get passionate about it? somebody else doesn't? And why is this something that is important to me, but it's not important to somebody else? Why is that? It's not that it happens. That's important to ask that question. I do this, okay? Do I do this? Do I do this? But, but once you figure out what the issues are, then you need to figure out the why. And that's, the, that's really the most important is why do I think that? Why, why are some temptations so strong for me, but they're not strong for somebody else? And, and then for somebody else, they have completely different temptations that I don't have. Now, some of those, we, get to, we, we understand the why very simply, Okay. Um, but sometimes it's not, it's not that simple. We have to really dig in a little bit. We have to let the Holy Spirit work on us and, and, and change some things. When Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected and he left, he had told the disciples right before that, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Comforter. And he's one of the very first things that Jesus says the Holy Spirit is going to do here on the planet with us after he leaves is that he's going to bring us into truth. 
He's going to bring me into truth. He's going to bring you into truth. That means on a personal level, he's going to bring you to truth. Well, there's some things that you've already embraced that are, that are true things. But there are some things that are on the edges that, that, that you haven't embraced, that, you're, that you know is there. But you've got, to, you've got to intentionally make a decision to go down that road, to process some stuff. What makes me me? Why do I choose the things that I choose? Um, Church at Briargate, this is our mission statement. I want to make sure that we, that we understand this is, this is why I'm speaking what I'm speaking, okay? Church of Briargate exists to enable people under the anointing of the Holy Spirit to supernaturally draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as many others along as possible. That's, that's what we're here for. We're going to go after the Lord with everything about us, and we're going to bring others with us. Love God with everything. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's who that's who we are. So if you're going to supernaturally draw closer to Jesus Christ, you're going to have to know the things that need to be changed for that to happen. There has to be some differences from who you are right now to who you need to be. The Lord has got a plan for who you need to be, and that never stops till the day you take your last breath. That's, that's when it ends. Up until then, you're constantly, um, potentially changing if you're following the Lord. He's changing you. He's changing your thinking, changing your process, all this other stuff. So, so you've got to follow the Lord with this. You've got to follow the Lord and say, okay, what, what do you want to do with me now? It is so easy for us to get, to get into kind of neutral status quo mentality. And we have this assumption, this weird assumption that, that, um, that we stay the same all the time. But you're never the same. We'll, we'll go six months at a time. We think, well, we don't really change. So the question is, who do you want to be six months from? Now, I don't mean skinnier. Most of us want to be skinnier. Right? Except Sam, our worship leader. He's something. His nickname around here is Fat Sam. <laughs> because I am jealous. So, but, but here's the thing with this. The Lord wants you to, he's got plans for you. He's got plans for you right now today. He's got plans for you this week. He's got plans for you for the next six months, for a year. And you've got to be listening. There are things that he wanted to do with you this last year that didn't happen. There are things that he had planned that didn't happen. Now, that doesn't, that's not like, oh, no, I failed. But, but we can do better. We can listen more. We can be used more. We can witness more. We can pray more. We can be more anointed. We can know the word of God more. All these different things, but you have to be intentional about this. And some of the intentionality is not just, okay, I'm going to open my Bible and read the Bible. That, that's, that's good, but that doesn't always get you where you're trying to get to. You have to open the Bible with an intentionality. You have to open the Bible with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding for years ago, I would, I would get in this trap where I'd, I told myself, I'm going to read the Bible a certain amount of time every day. And so then I would start, I would, it would like a stopwatch. I would start, okay, it's whatever time, and I'm going to read for 30 minutes. And at the end of the 30 minutes, I could, I could almost be in the middle of a sentence. I'm like, 30 minutes up, I'm done. That, that makes no sense. That... We've got to be pursuing God. So that means there's a relationship, there's a, there's a connection, there's an intentionality to say, God, make me what you want me to be. Change me. Do the things that you want to do. And so this year, I believe there's three basic things that, that really in praying about this, I just know this is, this is, God wants to do this stuff with us. The first thing is that I believe that Jesus is going to set you on a path of health and wholeness. Now, I, I believe that physically too, but I believe that's really the least of our concerns. Now, I know society is making it the biggest of our concerns right now, but it's not. It's not. Okay? 
I, I, I hesitate doing this. I'm gonna. So how many of you have had COVID ever? Me too. I, good for you. You're now immune. You made it. Now, I know, I know there's people that died from COVID. I know that. I'm not trying to make light of that. Although I don't believe that it is even close to what the government says the numbers are. Not even 10% of that. Okay? And, and I base that on CDC numbers, not just me. But here's the thing. The, 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 the biggest thing that we need to have in our existence right now is spiritual health and wholeness. Mental health and wholeness. Relational health and wholeness. There have been people in our society that are pitted against other people that never existed before. Never existed. But there's so much language of hate and, and, and racism and prejudices and everything else that people feel empowered to just be mean. That you can walk in somewhere without a mask and people will go crazy on you. Although I have noticed... They don't go crazy on the people with larger muscles. Have you ever noticed that? They don't go crazy on the people that are carrying a weapon openly on their hip. Because why? They're jerks and chickens, that's why. But it's, it's amazing how we can pit people against each other. I really believe this year God wants to do some very deep healing health and wholeness within us as individuals, then within us as a body, and however we can make that reach out into society. Get rid of the goofiness, get rid of the fear, get rid of the, 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 the attacks against each other, get rid of the language of, of hate and, and, and prejudice and everything else. Get rid of that stuff. And let's be healthy people. We do that by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The second thing is that I believe that, that Jesus is going to empower you with the Holy Spirit this year more than you ever thought possible. Now, some of you, you've never really stepped into that. You've never really stepped into an empowerment um, uh, existence with the Holy Spirit. You, you've never allowed him to empower you, fill you, pray in the Spirit, walk in the gifts of the Spirit, things like that. Guys, I, I am praying strongly that that happens with you this year. Okay, it's not, a, it's not like a spiritual maturity thing. It's really just a, a surrendering thing. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with like depths of knowledge either. It's just mostly surrender. Just letting go. And if you've been taught against that all your life, it's harder to let go and let the Holy Spirit do that. Well, we're going to be praying about that and expecting the Lord to do that. For some of you, um, he's going to do a, just a fresh thing deep in your spirit. I, I, I just believe that. You, some of you are just kind of... I don't know who you are, by the way. I'm not saying this like I'm, you know who you are, but I, I, there's just a dryness, and the Holy Spirit just really wants to refresh you and, and set you back on a path of, of excitement, intentionality, and things like that. I believe that. And then the third thing is that I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to do things through you. You're going to minister to people in new and exciting ways that, that eclipses what you thought possible. I believe you're going to, some of you may have never witnessed to somebody, I believe you're going to witness to somebody this year. You may never have prayed for somebody and then be healed, and I believe that, that uh, the Lord's going to do that through you this year. I, I, and I'm not just saying this as words. I'm not just saying like, well, we just hope this happens. Just really praying about this. I, I even said this Monday night at our prayer meeting. I already, was already part of the message. I already prepared all this. And Monday night at our prayer meeting here at the church, I said this, that I really believe that the Lord wants to do um, new ministry and, and exciting ministry in people's lives that they have never experienced before this year. The next morning, Tuesday morning, 
we called our pastors in India, and we've been making some changes there. Um, one of our pastors is, is uh, going back home, and the other one is going to stay there. And so we're going to have one pastor there. And, um, and his wife has been doing some stuff, some ministry and things. In fact, I'll probably, in the next couple of weeks, I'll show you some videos and stuff. Where Now, this is a church that didn't even exist. There was nobody a year ago. I've been doing it for about four years now. They had nobody coming to church. They did a big Christmas party at Christmas, and she went to one of the near, two nearby villages and just recruited a bunch of teenage girls to sing a song and do a dance about Jesus on Christmas. This is a strong Hindu-slash-Muslim community. There's, there's no Christians in the whole community. And, um, and, and the, the, she had them do this song and dance thing for Christmas and invited a bunch of people from the community. There was 250 people at this event. And, and all these teenage girls were teaching the message of Jesus through a song and a dance thing that they did. Very beautiful Indian dance thing. And, um, and, and this pastor's wife was the one that did it. Well, Tuesday morning, I'm talking to him, and I can, I'm, they're on video, and I'm talking to him, and I can only see her elbow. There's some cultural things going on here would take too long to explain, but she won't sit in the, in the view, okay, because she's a woman. And so, um, so I saw that she was there, and so I said, is Sufala there? And he said, yeah. And so I said, well, let me move the camera so I can see both of you guys, which really made her nervous. But, um, and then she, so she's sitting there, and I'm, I'm talking to her. Her English is... Her English is few. And so she's been working on this. And so I'm talking to her. I'm congratulating her about all this stuff. Then she whispers to her husband. And he says to me, "Um, Sufala had a dream a couple nights ago. And she wants to share that with you. Is that okay? I'm like, well, yeah, of course it's okay. Like cultural things. So, So she said, this is what God has told me. She said, a man came to me in my dream and said, God is about to use you in new and different ways. Be ready. And I told her, I said, Sufla, that's exactly what God has been putting in my heart. That's exactly what I told everybody in the prayer meeting last night. This is, this is what, and she was kind of embarrassed. I said, don't be embarrassed. You step into that. And this is a culture where women are not, um, you know, the forefront for the most part. And I told her, you step into that. You've already done more with this little group of teenage girls in these two villages. You get out in those villages and you, you minister to those people. You guys, and they've already been doing this as a couple, but this is a, we're in a new, we're in a transition, a new place with our church in India, and I'm very excited about the next few months with this. Guys, I believe this right here. Some of you, God is going to take you out into places you have never stepped into before, and just ministering to people. You're going to be surprised at yourself. You're going to be surprised at what God does. But here's the thing, and this is, this is the point of this, this um, series that I'm doing is the way you think determines everything about you. The way you think, the way you think about life, the way you think about God, the way you think about yourself, relationships, people, all kinds of stuff. And we are a collection of, of moments. Of this, this is why I call it filters. There is, there is layers upon layers upon layers, millions of filters in our life of, th- of, of experiences and stuff, situations that information goes through to get to us, okay? We, it, this is why you can, somebody can hear the exact same sentence as somebody else and come to completely different conclusions because we have so many layers that life does. And there's good and there's bad and there's, there's potentially what we perceive to be neutral in a lot of ways. 
I don't think there's, I don't think there's near as much neutral, if at all, than what we think. I don't believe in coincidence. I don't think that's really a thing. I just think God's too big, Satan's too evil, and we're too manipulated to, to, do, to have something called coincidence. And so there's all these layers, all this stuff that we call life that, that, that is the filters through which I disseminate information. And so what, what I'm trying to get us to in this series is to really analyze, why do I think certain things? Why are there things that I'm passionate about? Why are there things that I'm not? Why, why do sometimes I'm really tracking with God in this, but in this area, it seems like I'm not tracking at all? Why do, why do I, when I pray, this seems to happen, but when I pray over here, this doesn't seem to happen? And how that is so different in somebody else. And, and they, that I can be tempted something somebody else can't. I see something that's good, somebody sees it as bad. I see it as bad, they see it as good. And, and we can both be Christians doing that. Why? Because there's so much that is me that is disseminating this information. Now, there is absolute truth. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I, I'm not going down this road saying that life is all relative for us all. That's not what I'm saying. It's the opposite. There is absolute truth. That is Jesus Christ, and it is his word. The problem is, is we don't always get to absolute truth because we come up with our own ideas. We come up with our own theology and our own, what we call truth. And I, and I hear this more now, every, all the time I hear this. It's the weirdest, goofiest thought process. It just doesn't connect in my head. But somebody will say, well, that's their truth. There's no such thing as your truth. There's truth or not truth. You, you don't determine truth. The Lord determines truth. There is absolute truth. But we're in a place in our society today where, there's, where we're allowed to ch- pick and choose. What do I, I just, well, that's not true for me. It can be true for them. No. I had somebody say that about abortion to me about two years ago. I was talking to this person about abortion. They said, well, for you, they were trying to be respectful to me, but they said, for you, abortion is wrong. And I get that, but it's not for me. I'm like, there's no such thing as that. Murdering a baby is wrong. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether you accept it or not. It is wrong. That's truth. Okay? You come up with whatever you want. You don't get to choose what is truth. So let's go to Psalms 51, verse 10. Um, we're going to jump back down into Psalms 51 at the end of this. But, but to start with this, now this is right after David had, had the affair with Bathsheba, right? And he writes this, this amazing, beautiful psalm. Um, I read it oh, probably 10, 15 times a year. I go through Psalms 51. I just read it. Um, it's, it's, it's extremely beneficial for me. It's very cathartic. It's revelatory. It's convicting, all this other stuff. But in verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. That's the way the New Living Translation translates it. A loyal spirit. King James, I think, says right spirit. But renew a loyal spirit within me. Because th- this is the thing. I think that's actually the foundation of everything. It's not the way we look at it. It's not the way we look at life. But this is, we have this misconception as human beings that we are truly the masters of our own destiny. Now, I do believe in free will. I don't believe in predestination. So, so let me make sure there's, you understand what I'm saying. But I believe that there's two sources and two directions. That's it. There's not, there's not a lot of options out there. Jesus as a source, Jesus as a direction, Satan as a source, Satan as a direction. 
There is no, you know, this big um, path that I'm carving for myself and that I'm, you know, I'm in charge of all of this kind of stuff. You're serving somebody. You're, you're, you're following somebody. You're serving somebody. It's either Jesus or it's Satan. Now we can convince ourselves that it's me. I'm in charge of me. I'm serving me. And my, that's, a, that's, a, that's a deception that Satan does to us. Because then we literally think, well, I'm coming up with all this stuff. I'm doing this. This is me. And, I, and, and in reality, you're, you're getting your source from somewhere. You're either getting your source from Jesus, his plan, truth, his will. That's kind of, or you're getting your source from Satan. And he's the, he's the master of all of this stuff, sin and, and the world and, and humanism and all that other kind of stuff. And so you're, you're, you're following one or the other. But we think, no, I'm in charge. And Satan wants you to think that. It's healthy for, for, from his perspective for you to think that. Because then he can play you. He can play you all day long. Because you think you're actually the man. And, 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 and here's the sad thing about it. This is a, a visual God gave me years, years ago. Is Satan plays us all of our life. And we think we're in charge. Plays us, plays us, plays us. And, and we think this is good, beneficial, and everything. And then we step into eternity, and we end up in hell before him. And then he laughs at us for believing him. That, that, it's weird how we will do that. Renew a loyal spirit within me. So the question is, why do I do what I do? What guides me? What leads me? What is the direction? So I want to go to King David. And uh, King David is just, to me, he's one of my favorite people um, in scripture, but also in history, just to study and to process. I, I think he was, I think he was the greatest king ever and probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest warriors in all of history, not biblical history, but all of history, just an amazing warrior. And the stories of the three and then the 30 and all that stuff, man, those are, those are amazing things. Just, just powerful stuff that these were real guys and they did real stuff that most people can't do, never will be able to do. These guys were warriors. Great king led his people, did, did a, some amazing stuff. But here's the other side of this. The other side of the coin is David was a horrible husband. Horrible husband. Cheated on his wives, plural, which is part of the problem. You know, there's this thing scripturally that people say and think, which I've, I've never understood it, where they'll say, well, you know, you used to, could have, men could used to have, could have lots of wives. How do we know? Because they did in the Old Testament. Because they did doesn't mean that God was okay with it. God was not okay with that. He says it over and over in Scripture. And we just say, well, you know, David, he was a good guy, man after God's own heart, said 700 wives. Well, but, but the good thing is, is he gave himself completely emotionally to every one of them and listened to everything that they wanted to say all the time. I, I struggle with one. Sometimes. Right? And she's perfect. So, he was a horrible uh, husband and he was a probably even worse father. There, there is nothing that we see in Scripture, and I've, and, I've, and I've scoured the Scriptures, we don't see anything that David did except maybe Solomon, the last moments of his life, that David did that was good father. It was all bad examples. So we're going to break some of that open, try to process. The first thing we're going to look at, and, and I do believe these are tied, we're going to look at two things. One is sexual sin, and then we're going to look at um, um, family uh, parenting relationships mentality. 
And, and I think the way that this story of David goes, they're tied together so much through the story that I didn't want to separate them. The first thing is this is when, this is when David uh, is about to have the affair with Bathsheba, okay? Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, he's about to, to step into the sin with Bathsheba. And, and I preached about this, and I, and I believe this is true. And I've, and I've read stuff about it, and I've heard other preach, people preach about it. But I think it's only part of the question. We, we know that the reason that, that sets David up for this failure, for this sin, is he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. He was supposed to be out to war as the kings do in the spring. It just says that that's why, that's why Samuel takes the time to say, well, he should have been out there. He should have been beside Uriah fighting the battle instead of about to hang Uriah to dry and get him murdered. Okay? He should have been out there fighting the battle, and that's true. But, but here's the question that never gets asked. Why? Why was he not there? And Scripture doesn't explain it explicitly to us. I think there's stuff that, that in Scripture that shows us, but I'm not going to answer the question. You've got to answer the question. Because here's part of the thing. I think if we can get to some answers in our own heart, why was David not doing what he was supposed to be doing? Why was he in a place that he was not supposed to be? Wrong place, wrong time. Why? If we can get to that why, as, as we begin to investigate that for David, there's a possibility that the Holy Spirit will help us uncover some stuff about us. Right? Why? Why was David... There's potential, you know, arrogance, pride, laziness. There's all kinds of stuff. But the question is why? What pops into your mind first? There's a possibility that the Holy Spirit may be trying to speak to you in a similar arena. Okay, why was this? So then verse 2. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Okay? He was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he still had not stepped over the line. He's about to. In fact, the very first part of verse 3 is all I'm going to read. He sent someone to find out who she was. Wrong answer, David. The right answer is close your eyes and walk away. The right answer is respect God, respect this woman, Respect her ability to take a bath. I've had people, I mean, just tear Bathsheba up. Well, she shouldn't have been bathing out there in the open for David to see. I don't think that's the right way to approach this. David wasn't supposed to be there. Right? And, and potentially, some, some of the stuff I've studied, David's palace top would have been the only palace top potentially higher than hers. And David wasn't supposed to be there. And here's something else. David could have said, oh, I shouldn't have seen that. I'm going to go walk and talk to one of my wives. That could have been the correct answer. Right? Guys, I know this is a very uncomfortable place. But if, you're, if you have been tempted with something like that, the best thing to do is to tell your spouse. Talk to her about it. Tell her, boy, this caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting this. this. And it got in my head. It got in my heart. 
Pray with me. You talk about a woman that'll pray. Now, she might have some things to say first, but here's the thing. Wives, let me help you with this. Don't berate him, ever berate him for saying that to you. Because next time he won't tell you. And now it's a secret he's locking inside. That's dangerous. Right? And by the way, I get this from my wife. She has said that to me before. She has said that. Because years ago, not about something like this, but about something a little different, I kind of unloaded my soul. And I'm like, I got to tell you, this is really weird. It's happening. You know, that's spiritual warfare. And she got really mad at me. Really mad at me. And I've heard her tell many uh, wives over the years, don't react improperly. She reacted wrong. Because the next time I'm gun shy. I don't want to tell her. I'll tell you what it was. Um, I had I'd been going through this time frame, like months and months, where I just knew that my wife was cheating on me. I just knew she was cheating on me. Now, we have two little boys, under three, or under four. She was pregnant with Emily. We lived in a farmhouse. We had one car. I drove it to the church. We lived in a farmhouse about two miles from the nearest house on a dirt road. And she was out there by herself all day long. I knew all the facts, but in my head, I couldn't get away from the fact she was cheating on me. So I finally told her. I said, I know this is going to sound weird, but I can't get it out of my head. I know it's a spiritual battle that I'm going through, so I need your help. I just feel like you're cheating on me. And she went off on me. (laughs) The first thing she said, I'm not making this up. The first thing she said is, I don't want to have sex with anybody. (laughs) Not you, not anybody. I was like, I feel better. (laughs) So how you react is important. But here's the thing. Guys, we need to to see these things come and recognize. And here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Why is this bothering me? Why is it getting in my head so much? Anger, that's a big one. Why, why do we get so angry so easily? Some of you don't, but some of you do. Some of you, anger messes with you. Some of you don't. But why? If anger messes with you and you can't seem to control it, why? The why is, is how you're going to get it fixed. It's not just that I have a problem, God help me with my anger. That's, that will, that'll get you down the road, but it's not good enough. At some particular point, you're going to have to let the Holy Spirit get in your mind and spirit and say, why am I angry? The why will, will release you from the control. The, the bond is a stronghold that is controlling you there. That Satan has got something. And he's using it against you. All, there's so many things. We go over so much stuff. Why was David still here? Then why did he think that this was okay? Why? We've got, we've got to get to these kind of things. I, I think the... The way he says this in verse 10 of Psalms 51, creating me a clean heart and and, um, put a loyal spirit within me. I think at some particular point, David's loyalty was no longer God. It become him. Become something else, right? You understand when we give in to temptations, the temptation is actually, the, the actual issue, the actual sin is actually a secondary thing. It's not a primary thing. The primary thing is somewhere, somewhere in the process, could have been over a long time, could have been a kind of a short time, but somewhere in the process, 
you begin to, to switch loyalties away from God to something else. If you're passionate about God, you're pursuing God, the chances of you sinning become very, very minuscule, if at all. Okay? Now, here, here's one of the ways that I, I can prove this. This guy came in years ago. I was a, a 26-year-old pastor. And he came in and he said, Pastor, I want to quit smoking. And I'm like, okay, I don't, Nicorette, I don't know what do you want from me, right? And he said, so give me a plan. We're going to, I'm going to, we're going to pray about this. You're going to help me quit smoking. I'm like, okay. So I had this epiphany. Now this is profound wisdom right here. I said, I got an idea. Every time you have a desire to smoke and you're pulling that cigarette out of that package, I said, begin to pray out loud in tongues until the desire goes away. He said, that's not going to fix it. I said, yeah, it will, because you can't put a cigarette in your mouth if you're praying really loud in tongues. (laughs) So I look at it now and I'm like, what was, that's the stupidest thing, but it worked. (laughs) He came in like two or three weeks later and he's like, Kevin, had a cigarette. Having, and then he just starts praying in tongues. I'm like, you want one? I'm one one. I'm like, okay. But, but here's, because he'd come in like three or four times before this, and he said, I'm going to quit. Okay, we'd pray about it. And he'd say, I take my cigarettes, and he'd take them and throw them into a field. And then he would say, like a week later, he said, two o'clock in the morning, I'm out there in that field looking for a cigarette. I'm like, because it's, to you, smoking is not, you don't want to more than you want to, Right? I don't, I don't think smoking's a sin. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. Um, I, think, I think you smell like your destination, if it is. But, <laughs> but I don't think it's a sin. <laughs> but here's the thing with that. Is, is I do believe, guys, I believe this can work with anything. If you have something that you want to change in your life, begin to pursue God more than you pursue <clears throat> it. Now, that's easier said than done. I get that. But pursue God. See, somewhere... David stopped pursuing God. He stopped being loyal to God. And he started pursuing something else. Second thing I want us to look at is, the, is David's concept of family and some of this. 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20. This is when um, uh, Amnon, Tamar's half-brother, uh, raped her. Okay? Her brother Absalom saw her, Tamar, and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. Now, it would seem, if, if this was the end of the story, it'd say, well, this just seems kind of callous, Absalom. You don't, Absalom ends up killing Amnon for this. He kills his stepbrother over this. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Verse 21 is a tragic sentence for Tamar, for David, for Tamar's mother, for everybody involved with this. When King David heard what had happened, he was angry. That's it. That's all he did. He was angry. You know what the penalty was? What David should have done? And by the way, what he did for other people that wasn't related to him, killed him. That was the penalty. It was death. David did nothing. In fact, later, when Absalom kills Amnon for it, David is anguished over this. In in verse 21, by the way, this is just a little side note. You may have this in your Bible, you may not. Um, It's not in the New Living Translation, but in 
in uh, some of the Hebrew transcripts, verse 21 ends with um, a sentence that said, David would not discipline Amnon because he was his firstborn. David never disciplined Amnon. Okay? 1 Kings chapter 5, uh, 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 5. About that time, David's son Adonijah, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, began boasting, I will make myself king. So he provided himself with chariot and charioteers and recruited 50 men to run in front of him. Now his father, King David, had never disciplined him at any time. Even by asking, why are you doing that? He never even asked that question. Never, he never disciplined Amnon. He never disciplined Adonijah. Not once. And so what's Adonijah doing here? Trying to take over the kingdom from David. He's trying to rob the kingdom from King David. Now I know the people at the time didn't recognize that King David was going to be so important. He was going to have a hotel named after him in Israel. Why are you doing that? Adonijah had been born next after Absalom. He was very handsome. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 13. A messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all of Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it will be too late. David urged his men, hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. Absalom is now going to try to take the kingdom from David. David never disciplined Absalom. Now Absalom's trying to take the kingdom and the greatest warrior ever, the the warrior King David that slayed Goliath, had the three, had the 30, all this stuff, he picks up his skirts and runs and lets his kingdom be taken over by somebody else. This This is horrible. So here's the question that I have. Why did David... Think like this as a father. I mean, there might be some reasons like, you know, after, see that the child that, that when, when David goes and sleeps with Bathsheba, she sends him a message later and says, I'm pregnant. That's why he had to have Uriah killed because Uriah was out to battle. There's no way Bathsheba could have been pregnant from Uriah. So that's why he had to have Uriah killed. Do you realize that that baby died? That's not Solomon. Solomon comes later. That baby died, and it was directly because of David's sin. Scripture says this. Now, I know this is not popular in today's society, and I, and I even struggle with saying it because there's a condemnation factor that can happen. And I know what this is. I've experienced this. Between our, our second child, Isaac, and our third child, Emily, we had another child. And, and uh, we lost that child. And there, there was a big issue with me at the time did I cause this? Somehow did I cause this? I'd been a youth pastor and I'd resigned from that position and, and God was trying to get me to be the, a pastor of a church and I was struggling, I was delaying, I was dragging my feet, I didn't want to be a pastor. And, and Satan started telling me that, that it was my, and that was rebellion, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it, it was me just resisting, I just didn't want to do what God said. And I was resisting, resisting, and it was because of, of issues in my spirit, um, but, but I was struggling with that and I literally went through a time frame that I thought that I was responsible for my, my baby dying. And then 
we had a relative that took us to dinner one night. And he took us to dinner and paid for our dinner, which is why we went, because <laughs> we were broke. And um, we go to dinner, and he basically spends an hour plus at that dinner explaining to Lynn and I that the reason that we lost that child was because there was sin in our life. Now, he was a respected individual. He was a minister in our world. He was very respected, and we respected him, and, and uh, that was crushing to us. So I, I do have to be careful saying this. I don't want there to be a condemnation factor. But I also know that that, that, child, that child's life was taken specifically because of that sin. Scripture says that. We can't get away from that. And we think we can make decisions and do stuff and there's no consequences. That's, that's the whole abortion thing for me. I mean, there's, there's the baby and all, I get all that and that's important. But for me, it's this mentality that we can have in our society today that I can sleep around whenever I want and it doesn't matter because I can just kill the evidence. It's, it's horrifying. Because there are consequences for this stuff. There are consequences individually and there are consequences corporately as a country that makes this okay and legal. There are consequences for this stuff. We, we see where David knows what to do as a parent, but he doesn't do it. And, and here's where it comes to us. Guys, there are things that we know as, as family people, as, as um, spouses, as parents, uh, we, that there are things that we're supposed to do as people that are interacting with family members. There are things that we're supposed to do. And here's the thing is we know all of them. I'm going to read some things. We know them all. But here's our challenge is we don't always do them. So here's the question. It's not that we don't always do them. It's why don't we do them? That's where we got to get to. Why? Because when we can figure out the why, it affects every single relationship in our life. See, if you don't believe that God's in charge of everything, you won't serve him that way. If you don't believe he's a healer, you won't pray for healing. If you don't think that he does supernatural things today, th this is why I really struggle with the whole Calvinist mentality of cessationism and limited atonement and all this other kind of stuff. If you don't believe that Jesus died for everybody, you're not going to witness to people. If you don't believe that Jesus answers prayer, you're not going to pray. Right? Or, and here's what happens with us, is we pray a bunch and God doesn't answer or it doesn't appear that he answers or whatever the situation is. And so we think, well, he doesn't answer my prayers. He answers other people's prayers. Right? So, so everything we think determines the next step of our existence. How do we process this? How do we interact with people in this way? All this kind of stuff. Who we are is determined by how we think from all of the stuff. And then who we are, determined by how we think, determines our next step, which then determines how we think. And it's, it's, it's our existence over and over. So here's the thing. We know some things that we're supposed to do as family. <clears throat> to start with the example of David, um, not cheat on your spouse. That's a starting point. We know that, but guys, it happens all the time. It happens all the time. It happens in the church, happens out of the church, happens all the time, adultery. But we know this is destructive. We know it's going to gut us. We know it's going to gut our children. We know it. And we still do this stuff. We know that we're supposed to serve God ourselves as an example to our spouse and to our children. We know we're supposed to serve God as an example to our coworkers, but we don't always do it. Why? 
That, that's really the question. Why? We know that marriage comes before children. That's, that's what God's word says. He says your children are going to leave and cleave to somebody else. You've already got a cleaving going on. That's your spouse. Your spouse is to never supposed to leave. And you're not supposed to ever leave your spouse. We know this is what scripture says. But divorce rates are over 60% of all divorces in, uh, all marriages end in divorce. That's in the church, by the way. Okay? So here's the, here's the thing with that. We know that, and we know that our marriage is supposed to come over our children, but what happens is we divorce our spouse and we cling to our children. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't you know, take care of the kids and all that kind of stuff, but I also know by the time a divorce happens, somebody has not been thinking of the kids a long time before that moment. That hasn't been, they haven't been the priority somewhere. So there's already a brokenness, already an upside-downness. I know this is not popular stuff, but guys, this is reality. Our marriages are supposed to be for life. And they're not. And it would, and it would be weird for me in, in, in almost any setting in society to say that. There would be something about me that would be archaic and outdated and all kinds of stuff. We know we're always supposed to put God first in family. God comes before anything with our family. So that means the things of God should come first uh, in our family, for our family. So what are the things that we're doing with our family that we're not putting God first? Are, are we watching things that are unhealthy for our spiritual relationship of the family and the family members? Now, I know there's some balance with what I'm about to say, but I also think there, we need to process this some. When parents say, well, we're not going to watch that because we're not going to let the kids watch that, but we'll watch that. Where is the line between it's okay for the adults but not the kids? I know there is that. I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But, but, but I think, you know, like this is the category that's okay for kids, and this is the category that's okay for parents outside of kids. And we make it like this. We'll watch all kinds of stuff that's very unhealthy for us. Very unhealthy. You know, every now and then you hear about a movie star that stopped making certain kind of movies because they had kids. Because they realized, oops, my kids should never watch this movie. Right? That's okay, we'll watch it for them. Always put family first before job. I know there's certain times, moments in your existence when, you're, when you really do have to prioritize your job over pretty much everything. But I think those are very, very rare moments. Very isolated moments. But how many times do we put our job over our children? We know we're not supposed to, but we do. We know, we know, but we do. What about teach our children the word of God? We know we're supposed to do this. Scripture says it over and over. It says that we're supposed to teach our children coming in and out of the house, sitting down, standing up, you know, um, uh, write the scripture on, on the things you put around your, the, the bands you put around your forehead so they can read them everywhere. The scripture goes over and over and over about how we're supposed to teach our children the word of God. But here's the thing, guys, as, as I'm not trying to be condemning here, but definitely convicting. When's the last time you read scripture with your kids? When's the last time that happened? When's the last time you talked to them about the word of God? And here's something that I'm learning a whole lot is my kids are all adults now, and I teach them the Word of God more now than when they were in the house. 
Now, they also teach me, too. And I'll have great conversations with my kids about Scripture. But my job is still to teach my children the Word of God. There's not a statute of limitations on that. Teach your children the Word of God. And some of you are saying, well, my kids don't care anymore. I get that. But you can still pray for them. You can still be who you're supposed to be. And when you get the moment, say something. You'll get some moments. There is this thing that that, um, happens. It's called the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And your children can be rebellious and living their own life, doing all this stuff. But it's amazing how one day the Holy Spirit brings them to their knees and they'll call you. If you are the person that, that God can trust and they can trust you give, you, give them truth. So be that person. Always teach your children the Word of God. Pray with your children. We know we're supposed to do this, so why don't we do it? Pray with your children. Every day, pray with your children. I've said before, that is, the, that is the only saving grace I had as a parent. I was, I was kind of an idiot as a parent most of the time. I, I bumped into walls more than I did great things. But we prayed with our kids every day. Sometimes <clears throat> I would get so convicted because I'd gone to sleep and we hadn't prayed for the kids that I'd go wake them up and pray for them, pray with them. They hated that. I'm like, well, then remind me to pray while we're all awake. But I would, I'd be laying in bed, I didn't pray with my kids. I didn't pray with, I can't let Satan have them today. And I'd, get, I'd just go wake them up. Pray. Discipline your children. We know we're supposed to discipline our children. Scripture tells us this, we know this. But here's the thing, it's becoming less and less of a thing. It's becoming less and less popular. To the point where, <clears throat> and here's another thing that gets me. Is scripture says, spare the rod, spoil the child. That's like spanking on steroids. Right? Spanking is a scriptural thing, but it's amazing to me how many parents nowadays come up with so many plans that are, don't include spanking. Why? Because we're wiser now. We've outgrown God's word. We're so much smarter. We get it better. We've come up with all kinds. So many people have wrote, written books for us to discipline in other ways. Why would we want to do something so barbaric as spank our children? Why would we want to push violence with violence? Yeah, I don't know. God got that one wrong. Think about what I'm saying. This is a God thing. God said it. But we just choose to say that it is now irrelevant. And here's the thing. Spare the rod, spoil the child. We just had riots all across our country that I blame on parents. Kids think that they can get out and do that. I know they're not all kids or adults too, but somewhere our society has got to the point where we think that is okay. I, I would, I, as a grown man, I would have found my kids and spanked them. How dare they do something like that? That's a parent thing first. Culture comes from parenting first. Number one, parenting first. But we just decide I'm not going to do that. So here's my question. Why? Why do you make that decision? Why? We're going to finish it with Psalms 51. See, I can't answer all the questions for David. I can't answer the questions for you. I can barely answer some of the questions for me. But King David... 
I don't know why he parented this way. I don't know why he never disciplined any of his children. But I do know that in the book of Acts, so Stephen is the one saying this, right? Stephen is quoting Samuel. And he says that David was a man after God's heart. That means David is a man after God's heart hundreds of years after everything he did wrong. And he is, he is uh, documented as being a, man's, a man after God's heart. This is part of the reason I love David so much is because I get David. I think I, think I process life some like that. That there are some things that I think I'm really good at. And then other things I'm like, who are you? How could you possibly think that way or, or, or be that way? I, I was praying last night about today and about the service. I'm laying in bed praying. And, and I finally had to say, okay, God, I get it. These are the three things you want me to work on right now. Can I please move on and pray for everybody else? God wouldn't let me go. Just kept convicting and convicting. Guys, this is how David, this is David's heart, and this is why he's a man after God's own heart. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Not because of who David is, not because he's king. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. As if we could, as a country, just see that. I recognize my rebellion. And as the church, if we could see it, it would be life-changing. The country would be saved if just the church would recognize our rebellion. And it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. doesn't matter what it is. It is just. Verse 10 Creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit, loyal to you, a loyal spirit within me. Verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Why don't you stand with me? <clears throat> I want us to pray two things. Lord, convict me and change me. And then the other side is, Lord, restore to me, as you're doing that, restore to me the joy of your salvation, the joy of what it means to be saved by you and belong to you. Because why? Because God wants to do some things with us. He wants to change us. He wants to do ministry through us, all this stuff. And if we can't, if we can't understand that, that we start with, Lord, forgive me. That's the way everything should start. Lord, cover me with the blood of Jesus and then give me the joy that comes from knowing you and serving you. That joy will lead you into the ministry stuff. But we got to get that balance. So here's what I would like to do. I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to go over there and I'm going to sit down and pray. I would like to invite you to come to the altars, to um, kneel along the front somewhere, to kneel at your, your chair. Um, if, if you physically possibly, you, you can physically do this, try to find a place to actually kneel down. There's a submission thing that I think is important for us, right? kneel down before the Lord and say, Lord, I ask you to just to forgive me. Just wash me. Put loyalty deep within my spirit. And then as you do that, let the Lord bring his joy that you really are saved. That you belong to him, not because of who you are, but because of who he is. 
So I'm going to pray for you. And as I'm praying, find you a place to pray before you take. If you've got to take off, I get that. But before you take off, just find a place and just spend a little bit of time talking to the Lord about this. Lord, who am I? Why am I me? Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the everything. Jesus, you're the everything. You're the I am. Lord, we ask you to just bathe us in your love. Cover us with your blood. Make us right with you. Forgive us. Create in us a clean heart, Lord. Lord, we need you more than anything. We need you. Lord, why do I do what I do? Lord, help me to answer those questions. Why do I think the way I think? Lord, I want, I want the answer to be, it comes from you. I think this way because it's your word. God, that's what I want the answer to be, but sometimes it's not. So Lord, fill us with your presence. Every person in this room, just flow through us. Holy Spirit, get in our minds and in our hearts. Consume us with you.